We're going to be examining the mystical knowledge now that we have proven that that knowledge does exist and have opened that door for our viewers to choose whether or not they want to continue. If they want to take the red pill or the blue pill, if they want to see what other knowledge behind the religion of Islam exists out there. It's their choice now whether they want to continue or they want to stay behind and listen to the squealings and the threats of the pigs and the bears and the apes. Good to have you, Dr. Thank you so much for having me. Today we want to talk about a really important topic. And it is this topic that is at the center of why Islam broke into so many sects. And it is uh, really the reason why uh, Muslims can't get along. And it's the reason why also uh, a lot of people from uh, the people of the book and people that are non-Muslims uh, don't like to talk to Muslims and they don't want to have anything to do with them. It's part of the reason why. And the reason is is because of the mentality of the Muslims and their, their ability to so quickly uh, and swiftly uh, call another person a disbeliever just because they hold information or knowledge or a belief that they don't share. And really this problem goes back to the origin of Islam, where you have the Prophet Muhammad and he is sent to a nation that is extremely ignorant. A nation of Bedouins and Arabs that are in the middle of the desert and uh, although there are some Christians and Jews whom, whom are Arabs and, and living amongst the Arabs and people that are still upon the Abrahamic faith, but the majority of the Arabs are extremely ignorant and they're worshiping idols that are made of sticks and stones and made even uh, some of the companions of the prophet uh, spoke about how during the times of ignorance, the age of Jahiliyyah, so they themselves admit that they were all living in a period of and a, and a state of total ignorance in which they would build idols made of dates and they would worship it, supplicate it, say, oh, great date king, oh, oh, oh great God of dates, uh, you know, do this and this for me. And then whenever they would get hungry, they would eat their own God or eat the own uh, date idol that they had built. And so the Prophet Muhammad he comes to this nation. Imagine how mm-hmm. ignorant they are. Um, and he, these nomads, these Bedouins, these Arabs, and he has to teach them, you know, not only that God is one and, and, and guide them towards the religion of Islam, but also uni- unite them, uh, as a people. And we find that, uh, for that reason, uh, the majority of the people then, um, came under this Sunni Islam. Uh, or this, uh, this, this form or sect of Islam that depends upon the narrations that was given to the companions. They decided to take quotes 
as reliable or hadith that were reliable from the Prophet Muhammad based on the fact that, based on whether or not it was narrated by multiple sources or it being mutawatir. The more mutawatir it was, the more reliable it was. So they gathered and they compiled narrations and sayings of the Prophet, you know, that many people heard. Um, and they say if many people narrate it, then it must be true because many people testify that they heard it. And it makes sense at the first time uh, that you you hear it. Um, but what is the contents? What are the contents of these narrations? And you'll find that a lot of them are uh, very basic ones that teach people how to pray, how to perform pilgrimage, uh, mm-hmm. teaching them the basic morals and manners that you should take care of the poor, um, and teaching them things that basic human beings should already know, like uh, teaching the Arabs and the Bedouins at that time that they should brush their teeth uh, because they didn't even know how to do that. Right. Or uh, te- telling them that they shouldn't eat garlic and be around people because the garlic makes their breast smell. Um, we find narrations where the Prophet, unfortunately, is even um, uh, teaching the people how to uh, clean themselves after using the the, the bathroom, uh, using rocks or 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 leaves or whatever is available um, at that time, so that they you know get these impurities off of them. Uh, narrations where the Prophet is telling them that they have to change their clothes if they urinate on themselves uh, by accident, teaching them that you know to be a human being that it's wrong to uh, bury your daughter into the ground while she's alive because that was a thing that they were doing at the time they were burying their daughters um, you know because they thought that 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 it was a bad omen or bad luck or that it was a, a dishonor to them that they have a daughter because other tribes could defeat them and dominate them by means of raping uh, their women so nobody wanted daughters uh, he had to teach them that look uh, women are important and that they're they're human beings too and they have equal rights and we can't uh, do this to to women that God uh, disapproves of this. So um, these are the types of hadith for the most part that you find is mutawatir uh, that most of the people heard, most of the people uh, agree upon. Uh, but are these narrations the most important in religion? Uh, are these what matter? And are these narrations the only things that God had told his beloved Prophet Muhammad? So in Islam, there's this idea that the Prophet Muhammad is the most beloved and the closest prophet to God and that he went on the night journey mm-hmm. and that you know, God divulges to Muhammad the secrets and, and gives him knowledge and information that he doesn't even give to some of his other prophets and messengers, that Muhammad is the most knowledgeable prophet of all time. And so where did this knowledge go? Because if you put side by side uh, the hadith that you find that the majority of Muslims believe that are in Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim uh, or these mainstream books, 
uh, and you you put them side by side with uh, some of the uh, you know uh, words of Jesus Christ in the in the Bible, uh, you'll find that you know a lot of what Jesus says is a lot more superior uh, than than what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is recorded as having uh, said. You know, and they even uh, record in those hadith uh, narrations that describe the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu having uh, you know, how he, after being with his wife, he would uh, clean his own clothing from the aftermath of the process of being uh, uh, with his wife or, um, mm-hmm. you know, that the prophet would receive certain gifts from certain people or would accept or or how he would split up the war booty or these general events that were taking place in a more social environment or uh, amongst the the muslims as a whole or certain battles in which the prophet would um you know engage in that all of the muslims saw these were the things that the uh, majority of the muslims know and unfortunately the majority of the muslims are following scholars that have taught them that outside of the realm of what is mutawatir or what has been narrated or determined by the scholars throughout history to be authentic this is the only things that we should stick to and that, for that reason you find that mm-hmm. until this very day you know uh, 1400 years 1400 years into the future and muslims are still concerned with uh, you know making businesses where they sell uh, these uh, little wood uh, um, you know, miswaks to brush your teeth and they're, um, they're debating on and researching into the benefits of trying to prove that the miswak has more benefits than the modern day toothbrush and toothpaste. And, and, and all the meanwhile, the whole world is advancing. Hmm. And they're talking about the, the prophet said that, you know, you should walk into the bathroom with your left leg first before your right. Uh, foot and uh, you know the correct method to make wudu and other things that are uh, really uh, seemingly in the apparent uh, pretty irrelevant and pretty already well known and so uh, there's an absence of the this mystical knowledge or an absence of of information that the muslims do not have access to. Well, in actuality, they do have access to, but they're told not to access it. Uh, for the secret hadith that the Prophet Muhammad would have narrated only to his closest companions. And so here's the thing. The question is, is did the Prophet have a secret group of people? Did he have close companions? Did he have best friends? Did he have people that were amongst the Muslims that were more educated, more learned, able to handle more knowledge uh, than the rest of the people? And therefore, they were privy to uh, secret information or secret teachings of the Prophet Muhammad Is there such a thing? And there seems to be a lot of indications um, that there is. Uh, there is that. And, and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi he said to uh, talk to the people in accordance to their level of understanding right. or in accordance, in, a, in accordance to their, their minds or their mental capacity. And so this itself is a proof 
that an answer that the Prophet would give one person would differ to the answer that he would give another person, depending on their level of faith or their level of consciousness, you know, how smart they were. You know, if it's a simpleton, you know, who doesn't know any better, he might not give him, uh, you know, pearls of wisdom that would be beyond his understanding. If it's a, if it's a, an ignorant person who is not even worried about or has the no, you know, capacity or ability to understand higher things or concepts that are beyond this physical realm. The Prophet is not going to share that with, with them. But it doesn't mean that he didn't share it with other people. And so we must look into the narrations and see if these other uh, companions or, or, or if this, this secret circle of, of companions that were privy to greater hadiths mm-hmm. even exists. And we find that it does. Because the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu described in Hadith that there are levels of faith. The levels that go from level 1 all the way to level 10. And 10 is like the epitome and the completion of faith. And he states that there are certain people that reach the level uh, of, of 10 in faith. One of them being Salman al-Farisi. Uh, we know from the narrations that Mikhaled he reached the ninth level of faith. Abu Dar reached the eighth level uh, of faith, and we have other narrations that state that the person who is upon the ninth level of faith would look upon the person who is upon the eighth level of faith and see say that this per, that you know this person is upon nothing. He would see that all of the knowledge that he has on the eighth level in comparison to what he has is nothing. And the person who's on the tenth, he would look at the person on the ninth as the same way. And each person had to climb through these levels of faith, you know. So when he looks back and he and he and he sees what he was upon before, he's like, wow. You know, after knowing this from the prophet, after after grasping this concept, you know, and this aspect of Tawheed or this aspect of the religion, now I know that before I was upon nothing. <laughs> and so the Muslims, they break down into sects. There, and, and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. Because there's a sect of people, a hadith from the Ahl al-Bayt, it said that the people break down into, into three groups. That's what they are. That's what the Muslims are. Three groups. One group of people is a divine scholar. And this divine scholar, nobody should mock and nobody should attack because, you know, because of what it is that he sang or what it is that he has. Because if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him to be a custodian for this knowledge, then the rest of the people should not deny then the second group are Muslims that are seeking knowledge for their own salvation. So people that are students and, and follow the hadith of the Ahl-Bayt that want to follow the words of the Prophet Muhammad when he said, seek knowledge even if it were in China. Mm. And so they're constantly seeking they're not just looking in this area. I mean, think about that hadith, seek knowledge even if you are in China. That means like seek knowledge even outside of the Muslim sources, outside of the Arabs, outside of the companions of Rasulullah. There's knowledge to be found in China. Mm. Okay? And amongst the, the non-Arabs and perhaps even amongst the non-Muslims altogether. Right. Okay? So uh, then there's the third group of people, which were described by the Ahl al-Bayt as just being savages. And these savages, 
Um, these are the ones that just they're 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 constantly cursing. They're making grunts. So they're squealing like pigs, and they're making ape sounds. And they're quick to call people disbelievers, and they're quick to uh, deny, and they're quick to call anybody a dejel, and they're quick to um, you know uh, basically say the Quran is with us. That is enough. We don't want to hear anything else. Right. Yeah. So now we have degrees, ranks that go from one to 10. We have knowledge that is given to the public or just really, you know, history, information, uh, hadiths, narrations. So the prophet is giving advices and sometimes the prophet gives certain pieces of knowledge that everybody could handle in his sermons. Oh, people worship God. Oh, people, um, you know, don't steal the money of the orphans. Oh, people uh, do this. So you have this, which is widely narrated. And then you have other stuff that is only given mm-hmm. to companions that are on this journey, going from the levels of one till 10. So the savages, they're all the way down at level one, And then you have these seekers of knowledge and they're anywhere between levels two and 10 and they're seeking knowledge. And then you have these completed scholars, these completed knowledgeable people, imams from the Ahl Bayt divinely appointed successors of the Prophet and their close companions that have reached the completion of faith. And Salman had reached the 10th, like we said, and Muqdad had reached the 9th and Abu Dar had reached the 8th. And Imam Ali said that if Abu Dar knew what was in the heart of Salman, he would have killed him. And so this hadith in itself shows you, and it's a very famous hadith, that the knowledge that each companion of a level attains would make him out to be or look like a disbeliever in the eyes of the person who has not yet reached his degree of faith. And the Prophet Muhammad had made Abu Dar and Salman brothers when he paired the people together. Uh, so if Abu Dar, if he knew the reality of Salman's uh, faith, he would have deemed him a disbeliever and, and sought to kill him. Then what about the rest of uh, the people? Then for sure, somebody who is on the first degree or the savages, um, you know, if they would have known what Salman believed, they would have killed him. And for that reason, it necessitated that that this knowledge that is given to these people be held secret and be kept secret. And for that reason, the Muslim nations split up into two groups uh, initially, a group of people that would just follow the companions and the majority of what uh, the Muslims, uh, uh, you know, were were believing in, and and uh, and and they deemed that okay, the majority of the people they would always be upon the right path, and and they would follow their understanding of narrations, which would seem to indicate that that you have to hold on to uh, the majority, even though that's in contradiction with what the Quran says, because the Quran says, and if you follow uh, most of those who are in the earth, they would lead you astray. So the majority right. actually leads you astray, that the the, the true salvation is with uh, the minority. Um, and, and the Ahl Bayt, they, they clarified this even further when they stated that they, they had a knowledge that nobody else would be able to handle except for a prophet messenger or a close angel 
or a believer whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had tested, tested his heart for faith. And so that knowledge that the Prophet got from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could not be handled except by these. The true Muslim would only fall into these three categories. The true followers of the Prophet Muhammad and his friends and companions that could handle his knowledge are only three. Prophet messengers, close angels, and true believers that God really tests um, their, their heart for faith. And Imam Ali salam over and over and over and over and over and over and over spoke about this. And he would tell the Muslim nation to ask me before you lose me. Mm-hmm. And he would swear and say, by Allah, I have a knowledge in my chest that if I was to divulge it to you, you would shake like ropes that were thrown into a deep well. Um, and so, so this means that the knowledge is so terrifying and that's why the majority of the people would not be able to handle and not be able to accept it, that there is a religion of Islam. A big side, the true religion of Islam, is so terrifying um, that people could not handle it. And this matches and goes perfectly uh, with the hadiths that come from Jesus, uh, that we know that also Jesus, the same thing. He had things that he would speak to the majority of the people, and every prophet and messenger, the same thing. There were there was information that they would tell the public, and it was different than what they would tell their close companions. And that's why Jesus told, um, you know, he said, to the people to, to, to seek for the truth. And when you, when you, when you find the truth, you'll be disturbed. And he's, then he says, congratulations to those people. And so, uh, when a person finds the truth, he would be disturbed. And, um, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he said that the, the truth is, is heavy and it's sour while falsehood is sweet and, and, and nice and pleasing to people. And, and for that reason, so long as people are, are feeling in the, feeling like they're in a state of peace with what they have, if their hearts aren't disturbed by uh, the information that they have gotten from religion, then there's no, uh, then they're not upon anything. And Imam Bakr salam, in, in one hadith, he, he states, he says that the majority of the people are animals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and in another hadith, Imam Ali salam, he says, we are the true human beings. Yeah. And our Shia are those that resemble human beings. And so even those companions of theirs that have reached to the highest of degrees, those are the ones that resemble human beings. And the rest of the people are animals. The rest of the people are apes. The rest of the people are nisnes, you know, while they are a nest. And so uh, this is this is a very scary and terrifying reality. And when the companions of the Ahlbayt, those who uh, were like Salman, who stuck to the household of the Prophet and learned from them, uh, that's why they broke down into two sects. So then there was a group of people who were the Shia who would start receiving narrations from the Ahlbayt that was not narrated by the rest of the companions. And then the rest of the companions and the majority of Muslims, having heard this hadith for a very first time, uh, they would deem those people who were Shia, who had new hadiths, um, that they never heard before, they would call them disbelievers and they would seek to oppress them and they would say that they're enemies of Islam, that are seeking to uh, destroy Islam. 
And so knowing now that there is narrations that the, the, the close companions and the household of the Prophet Muhammad were narrating from Muhammad that the rest of the Muslims didn't know, uh, it puts the Muslim in a position where they have to ask themselves a question. And the question is, am I going to seek knowledge, even if it were in China, and I don't even have to go to China, I can just go over here to the household of the Prophet who lived with him, who were raised with him, the people that were related to him by blood. And am I going to be brave enough to to hear at least what they have to say? Or am I going to be like the people at the time of Noah who pulled their shirts above their heads and stuck their fingers in their ears and didn't want to hear what anybody else had to say in fear and in terror that, um, you know, that, that they would be, uh, you know, that it would be sinful somehow to uh, attain knowledge. Will we be so swift like and so dumb as a, as a pig or an ape that we would swing mud at a, another fellow Muslim and call them a disbeliever when they're bringing to us words from the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi And the while, all the while, the Ahl Bayt warned and they said that if you ever hear a narration that was attributed to us, because some companions would say, hey, Imam, you know, uh, son of Rasulullah, we were in this country and we came across this guy and this guy stated that um, you guys said this and this. And it was a strange hadith. We never heard it before. What should we do? And the Ahl the Imam would say, you know, whatever hadith reaches you, never deny it. Even if you don't understand it, or even if in the apparent it is contradictory mm. to what it is that you know, don't deny it lest your understanding of it, uh, lest you not be able to understand it. And then you deny these words and therefore you deny the words of God and therefore you disbelieve and you belie God from above his throne and you enter into hellfire. So I think that it's been proven now. Uh, from the words of Rasulullah and the companions, that it is an obligation upon every Muslim to seek knowledge, no matter where it is that it takes you, even if it's to China, mm. uh, even if it is to non-believing sources, and that you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to accept and never deny and have an open mind to any narration that comes to you that's attributed to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and all those narrations from the Ahl Bayt, in the end, the Ahl Bayt, the Imams, they never got information except from Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And therefore, all of their narrations are narrations of the Prophet Muhammad, that it's an obligation upon us to, to not deny it at the very least. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do by it, but we at least have to not deny it and not call other people disbelievers lest we be like Abu Dar if he knew what was in the heart of Salman and we commit that type of mistake. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating insight and I think it speaks against the methodology that is used to collate these books of hadith uh, which often say that the more people that have ijma or consensus the stronger the hadith but yet when you have a person uh, like Salman al-Muhammadi who the prophet says he's from us the Ahlul Bayt even one hadith from him would trump the 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 ones that have like a hundred narrators who are mainly focused on these apparent acts of worship 
And I think the way you described the, the times in which the Prophet Muhammad came, it was a very kind of backward time where these civilizations that were the contemporaries of the Arabs, they would look at them as backward, illiterate, heathens um, who the prophet had to educate in morals and manners before he could teach them the esoterics of the religion. So it goes to show that it's actually a minority always that is upon the truth and the majority is unfortunately in the lower levels of the, the ranks of faith that you described. Yeah. And uh, this has been going on um, from this attempt to, to shut the mouth of the prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi and make him be quiet. Is something that uh, began on the tragedy of Thursday, basically when the Prophet was on his deathbed, in which he was trying to say something and write something down. And Ahmed ibn Khattab says, you know, apparently the Prophet's hallucinating. Don't let him write down what he wants to write down. Um, and uh, the we have the book of Allah, the Quran, and the Quran is enough for us. Wow. And so uh, this incident, people can read about it. It's very well known, the tragedy of Thursday where the Prophet was trying to write down a message and the companions didn't allow him. Uh, and, and they just wanted to, to take the Quran. Uh, it starts there. And then it develops into a thing where, where there's now schools of thought. And the Ahl Bayt spoke about the reason why also some people are deemed to be savages and uh, some people don't want to find the truth because they are using a religion to control others or to make money off of or to gain status in society. And so when these people start going around speaking in the name of Islam, they're afraid and terrified of anything that threatens um, you their know, position. their reputation mm -hmm. and their position. And so uh, scholars were born out of this, uh, scholars of falsehood and, and people that lean towards the tyrant or the ruler of that time. And it is also well known in Islamic history that after the death of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, you have uh, people like Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman that would gather the hadiths of the Prophet and they would burn them all in order that they limit the the amounts of 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 direct the the, the the knowledge that was being circulated at that time because it was vastly different uh and we'll do inshallah a episode one day where we talk even about the quran from sunni sources and shia sources and how both sects all muslims in their books uh, state that there were multiple versions of the Quran and in order to control that uh, they had to uh, start killing people or burning other copies of the Quran and forbidding people from speaking the knowledge that they uh, knew and that there were two um, copies of the Quran that were written down one by Imam Ali salam and one that was compiled uh, by Uthman and, and they and the companions are the ones that fit the verses in different places and they're the ones that uh, basically uh, dictated how it was to be recited. And um, part of this knowledge that was given to only the companions like Salman and uh, those who reached the higher degrees was this interpretation of the Quran because the Prophet Muhammad and the Ahl Bayt have stated that without somebody who could give the interpretation to the Quran, uh, people would be lost because the Quran was so magnificent and so mystical that it could be read in many different ways. 
when even normal Muslims believe that it can be read with uh, in in several different ways, that there's uh, several different uh, several different qiraat for the Quran itself. And the Ahl-Bayt were saying that it's not just that, but for every verse, for every letter, for every word of the Qur'an, it, it, it could have 70 different meanings as well and different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And, and as an example for that, the Ahl-Bayt said that um, when they were interpreting and Imam Ali salam was interpreting verses that have to do with Pharaoh um, and Haman. Uh, the verse, one of its meanings would literally be talking about the character of Pharaoh and Haman that lived in the time of Moses. It's talking about that. But then there was other meanings and other interpretations to it. And uh, one of the hadiths from the Ahl-Bayt stated that the meaning of Pharaoh and Haman was Abu Bakr and Amr. Uh, that they did to the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi exactly what the Samari uh, did before, and what uh, you know that they are the Pharaoh and Haman of the nation of the Prophet Muhammad, and they're the ones that oppressed the rest of the nation by um, you know uh, fighting against the 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 uh, the Ahlul Bayt salam and forbidding that this knowledge be propagated, and therefore forbidding the propagation of the true Islam. Right. Right. Like the people other, that said, we other, have our own book. Exactly. Is, the kitab is enough for exactly. us, and this is what we're going to stick to, and you can be quiet. Yeah. So then then it became a thing that, you know, uh, the Ahl al-Bayt are saying that the Prophet knew already that Abu Bakr and Amr were bad, and that they were usurpers, mm-hmm. and that the Prophet, for that reason, any verse that's talking about Pharaoh, it's actually, or particular verses are talking also about uh, Amr, that it has this apparent meaning, but the people that are inside and members of this secret society uh, of true believers uh, that are Shia of the Prophet Muhammad that they understand the verses in ways that are different. And there are other concepts that don't have to do even with the companions or if a person's a disbeliever or not a disbeliever, secrets uh, that were um, also, uh, concerning the interpretation of the Quran that were also given to the companions, like concepts like reincarnation, for example, uh, you find that in the hadith of the Ahl al-Bayt where you have Imam al-Sadiq speaking to uh, Mufaddal ibn Umar, or you have Imam al-Baqir speaking to Jabir al-Jafi, or you have um, uh, Imam Ali speaking to Salman, uh, they start giving the interpretations of verses, you know, for example, the verse that says it is as if they are being driven like cattle while they are looking. Um, the interpretation of this verse was the disbeliever. It means it's talking about the disbeliever who after life reincarnates in the form of an animal and is being driven to his slaughter by the believer who is, uh, who was once killed in a life before by that animal and, and therefore karma is taking place and he's, 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 um, He's slaughtering uh, that old disbeliever who had slaughtered him uh, while he's in the form uh, of an animal. And so uh, when you when you bring to light that this is a possibility, it changes the entire religion of Islam altogether. And the majority don't want that change because they perceive that change as threatening 
their authority, threatening their empire, and uh, threatening their very religion. Right. Like a concept that, that's come from a foreign alien religion or something. A concept that's come from a foreign alien religion, they just don't want to hear it. So they've taught their, um, you know, their followers that anybody who says anything to you other than what we're telling you, mm. you know, you declare them a disbeliever. They're committing shirk, you know, and, and this is in complete contradiction to the commandment of the prophet when he said to seek knowledge, even if it was in China, then it's in complete contradiction because, you know, the funny thing is too, is that, is that the, the source for all of these hadiths uh, that are secret, sacred, mystical hadiths is not uh, just other companions that were existing at the time that had bad reputations, but rather the source for these new interpretations and for that mystical knowledge are people that are related to the Prophet Muhammad, including his very own successor, Imam Ali salam, and uh, close companions that had reached very high uh, degrees of faith uh, like uh, Abu Dhar and Salman. This is the problem uh, that we have in Islam today. The and 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 this is the the question. And I guess the the um, you know when people are are um, wanting to learn about Islam and wanting to get closer to God, do they say enough is what is in the Quran and enough is what is in these books of Hadith that were compiled hundreds of years mm-hmm. after? the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi by people like Bukhari and Muslim who never met the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi and who were not even Arabs. They were Persians, actually. You know, Or are we going to uh, go back to the household of the Prophet Muhammad or are we at the very least going to be open to anything that comes to us uh, from the Prophet or in the name of the Prophet? Perhaps God guides us towards the truth. Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer that you have, uh, I mean, even Sunni Muslims would say Imam Ali is one of the rightly guided caliphs, and yet they don't tend to, or they're very uh, guarded about taking any hadith that has come from him, because it is quote-unquote Shia origin, or the Shias have somehow manipulated the hadith, and uh, yet they're okay to take it for people who come two, three hundred years afterwards, who've collected a bunch of hadith, and then they say, well, this is this is all we need. Uh, even though Imam Ali salam, you know, he stated over and over again that he had so much knowledge that if he wished that he could find bearers to bear it so that he could give it to them. Meaning that during his life, he was living in a different zone. It was only his body, the narration state, that or that was living amongst the people, but his soul and his mind was far above with the angels uh, in the heavens and thinking about concepts that, you know, an understanding of the religion that had nothing to do with those things that uh, the people were, were um, you know, thinking about that time. And Imam Ali alayhi salam would go and some of his companions would hear him crying, like, like Malik al-Ashtar would, would hear him crying, uh, you know, uh, out of loneliness and, and, uh, from, from vast distances. And, and Imam Ali alayhi salam, sometimes he would go out and he would put his head in a well, um, you know, and just speak into the well, uh, having conversations with himself about uh, that which he uh, knew. 
And so the, the danger of the hadith uh, is a reason uh, why it could have it could have caused the companions uh, to be killed. And there's a plethora of hadith where the members of the Ahl commanded for that very reason their companions to not tell anybody and to strongly safeguard these hadiths except from a, another um, you know, a, a, another believer of the same rank who can handle it, uh, to never, uh, tell anybody. And they said that our matter is a, is a secret and it's guarded by a secret and masked by a secret. And, and that this secret is the veil of God and whoever penetrates our secrets, uh, you know, or the veil of God, uh, you know, could end up, uh, being killed or sentenced, uh, to, uh, to die. It's this this reality that the Muslim nation is is struggling with today, mm. and that and that is trying to uh, grasp with and and from the followers of the Ahl Bayt they also broke down into sects after that where uh, people that were privy to secrets at the eighth degree couldn't handle something they heard from the ninth degree. So they, they start becoming their own thing. And the people that are in the ninth degree become their own thing. And the people that are in the 10th degree uh, become their own thing until you find that the Muslim nation today is filled with different interpretations and, and different sects and different understandings of Islam. And you have Muslims that believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legs and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hands because uh, the Quran said that God has a hand and God has a face and God has legs. And so when you die in the hereafter, you'll look upon God and you'll be able to see him. And obviously he has these uh, body parts and he comes and he physically goes. And there are other schools of thought and and uh, uh, followers of different sects of Islam that believe that the face of God and the hands of God and the feet of God are the proofs and the messengers of God, whereby God faces His people or or does His actions. That you know, if 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 when it what it means by the face of God is is the the huzja that God faces creation through. You know, and so the face of God becomes a different interpretation and its interpretation is a man, a divinely appointed uh, man. If God is to strike with his hand, then it's, it's, you know, over here they understand that God is actually hitting with his hand over here. Uh, they believe that that hand is the, is the hajja. That God, uh, his hand whereby he kills somebody is a man or whereby he sustains somebody is through an angel. That there's a different being that operate as the hands of God. That it's an allegorical, um, meaning. And you, there was also born out of this sex of Islam whereby they heard things that were so extremely disturbing to them that they came to wildly different conclusions um, about the imams uh, that they were even gods. Like, for example, um, you know, Abdullah ibn Seba, who, uh, you know, ended up declaring publicly in the life of Imam Ali salam that, that Imam Ali was the ultimate god and he started worshipping him. 
and this is a very famous hadith, and there's other hadiths that talk about this incident from uh, different sects. And so people go from that uh, all the way up to here. Their understandings uh, range in a great way. And there's, uh, yeah, so this is, the, this is the problem that we are in today. Uh, but we know that the narrations and the teachings of the Ahl Bayt, they can't be handled by anybody. And that's why the narration stated that it can only be handled by a believer you know, that God tested his heart for faith. And we have narrations that state that some people would go to the divine imam, like Imam Sadiq in his time, and ask him uh, something basic, like, for example, what is the rights of a believing brother upon another believing brother? And Imam Sadiq, would lean into his ears and would whisper to him, the interpretation or the, the reality or the truth behind the obligation that one believer has towards another, none of the other companions would hear it. Only the guy who asked uh, Imam Sadiq this question. And because of the response that he receives from Imam Sadiq, he begins to shake and his entire hair goes instantaneously white. And he goes from being a youth to uh, to being white in the hair, and he runs off outside of the door of Imam Sadiq stumbling upon himself uh, and falling and screaming, "By Allah, by Allah! Before this day, I had never been a believer." And so, uh, uh, like I said earlier, you know, when 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 you become privy to some of this information, you realize that it's not a, an act of disbelief to hear it or to know it, it's an act of disbelief to have not heard it or not known it. And that this is where the danger lies in being like the people of Noah, where you put your fingers in your ears or you cover your head um, with your shirt. Right. It's very telling that the Imam leans in and whispers in his ear. Again, keeping that aspect that only few people can handle these very, very heavy secrets that the majority unfortunately cannot, and it's for their own preservation that they shouldn't be privy to this information. And also that lightning of uh, the, the savages, that word, some people might say, well, that's a bit harsh, but Jesus used the same kind of rhetoric when he said, you don't dangle the pearls in front of the, the swine. Not dangle, but you don't put necklaces of pearls around the necks of swine, mm. meaning you don't give these, these uh, you know, these, the, the, the true knowledge to those who are, unworthy of it and so there once again with this great example that you just mentioned um the the jesus is comparing the normal jews in his time as uh, as being swine he's he's comparing them uh, to that and that's also what we find in the narrations of the that uh, the divinely appointed imams uh, say that the majority of the Muslims are, are animals and they don't represent Islam in the least and that they only took from Islam uh, its crust or its, its, its peelings or its, uh, you know, its, its case. And they went through Islam like an arrow uh, goes through, uh, you know, its target uh, without having benefited anything from it. They leave the jewel and they take the case. It's like somebody who gets a, an expensive ring that's inside of a, of a box. And then they take the box and they throw uh, the ring in the, in the street. This is the description of those who have rejected this concept that there is more to Islam than what are in the uh, narrations. And we have also 
uh, in the narrations of the Ahl Bayt, and that's why every Muslim should uh, seek to know this information and be prepared, is because uh, they state very clearly that in the time of the Qa'im, the Qa'im brings 27 letters of knowledge. And that from the time of Adam all the way till now, there has only been two letters of knowledge that were revealed. And that when he comes, he brings 25 new letters and adds them to the two old letters. And, and so imagine that, that all what we know from Islam and from the divine religion are two out of 27 parts. And it's actually 28 parts. There's a 28th letter that is only for Muhammad and the family of Muhammad and nobody else could could handle. And uh, Imam Ahmed Hassan, he said he stated that that there is knowledge that even if he was to tell uh, the prophets and the messengers, or or there's knowledge that even the prophets and the messengers, if they heard of, or even if the Mahdi's heard it, that they would run away like sheep run away from a, a wolf wow. uh, in fear of their lives. And so um, during the course of this next period, uh, we are going to be going uh, through all of these different topics. And we're going to be examining the mystical knowledge that was given now that we have proven that that knowledge does exist and have opened that door for our viewers to choose whether or not they want to continue and to see if they want to take the red pill or the blue pill, if they want to see what else the Prophet Muhammad is is quoted as having said, what other knowledge behind the religion of Islam exists out there? What could have been so terrifying that people would have killed over other companions and, and, and people would have aged instantaneously and ran away from? What would have terrified the prophets and the messengers so much so? It's their choice now, whether they want to continue or they want to um, stay behind and listen to the squealings and the threats of the pigs and the bears and the apes, you know, that, uh, that with, with, with every uh, hadith that they're unfamiliar with or every concept that they're unfamiliar with, they're fast to yell out and accuse somebody of being a Dajjal or being a non-believer or to say, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to say that it's haram to uh, watch uh, or listen anymore. They're the people that are the advocates of of putting your fingers in your mm. ears, the, the people that the Quran describes as being deaf, blind, and dumb, and they never return. They are the companions and the and the wood for hellfire. They are the deniers of the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. Those peoples are the enemies of true Islam and the enemies of God from his throne up above. Thank you so much, Dr. Fan, for joining me. Thank you very much, Abbasadik, for having me today. Assalamualaikum. Alaikum Some heavy words were spoken and some, something that we all need to contemplate on because growing up as a Sunni Muslim, I myself was in a position where I would sit in a mosque and I would read the book of Hadith and they were mainly about the apparent acts of worship. And while the apparent acts of worship serve a purpose and they're important, there is another dimension to the religion. And that is the esoteric wisdom, the knowledge of the Prophet Muhammad, that he said, I am the city of knowledge and Ali is its gate. So whoever wishes to come to me, come through the gate. 
And this really opened my mind to the fact that even though there is a mafia of sheikhs and imams who sit and call everything shirk and call everything bidah, they say everything is polytheism, well, there is a hidden dimension of Islam. And I think Abbas Sadiq is trying to open our eyes to this knowledge. If we have an open heart, or if you've ever been in this position where people have told you, uh, don't look in this way, don't uh, talk about these hadith, these are the people who are bereft of the true meaning, wisdom, knowledge, and beauty of the faith of Islam. And as we progress, it is my sincere hope and wish that you will watch the episodes and engage with us and really embrace the beauty of the knowledge of the Prophet Muhammad and his holy household. Thank you for joining us.